welcome to a new episode of the Life Science Gets Together podcast. Um, Life-changing moments. I, there were two in my life, basically. One was in September 2001. I'm pretty sure many people do remember that. It was 9-11. Um, I remember it well because uh, in, this, in those days I was studying for exams and uh, I was living with my girlfriend. We had an apartment. She was in the living room. I was in the other room. We were both studying and she had the habit to have the television set on. And in a break, I walked to the living room and the television set was on and I saw this really horrible moment, which in a way was uh, unreal. So my first thought was, is this a new movie? Is there something uh, coming from Hollywood that I'm not aware of? And I thought, this is a really good, good trailer to a movie. And it took me a couple of minutes to realize it's not a movie. It's real life. And it was really horrible. The second life-changing moment that I realized was this year, was about January, February. I was digging into TikTok, social media. And there were suddenly these, these pictures from, from China that there is a new outbreak, a new virus. Uh, it also came to the newspapers in Austria. And I read, I read amazing stories so that the Chinese government built a hospital with 10,000 beds in one week. And I, as an Austrian and European, thought, that's unbelievable. That's unreal. We can't do that in Europe. So, um, and I think everybody is aware of uh, what I'm talking about. It's uh, the outbreak of SARS-CoV-2. It uh, happened uh, in Q1 this year. And uh, with these life-changing moments, I think it's quite normal that people try to understand what's going on. And especially with viruses, it's a little bit tricky because uh, we tap into the field of science and science is, is not easy. It's not black and white. It's complex. And uh, we all know what's going on in Europe, but uh, I lost a little bit track of the situation in China when I opened the newspapers in, in Austria. I don't see much um, coverage about the Chinese situation. So I thought it's a good thing to invite one of my colleagues who happens to live in Shanghai, Irene Robin, to the show and chat a little bit of uh, about the situation in China. Welcome to the show, Irene. Thank you very much, Christian, and thank you very much. Very happy to be here. Good to see you. Uh, let's start first with the first question. Why are you the right person to talk to when it comes to the SARS-CoV-2 situation in China? Oh, <laughs> uh, one of my life-changing moments was uh, 25th of October 2000 when I arrived in China uh, 20 years minus one month ago. Uh, on a one-way ticket, uh, initially for a three-year period, but now uh, it's been extended by 17 years so far, and it's meant to continue, probably. Uh, I've been in the medical field in China for uh, almost 20 years now. Uh, in particular, I worked in the field of virology, immunology. Uh, I lived through the SARS outbreak, H1N1, H5N1, hand, foot, mouth disease, and now COVID. Uh, in particular, I had a, uh, a posting during six years at Institut Pasteur in Shanghai, which gave me the opportunity to be very close to the research community, to be very close to public health authorities, and to be also very close progressively 
to the hospital sector. And given the fact that my role now in my work and my line of work over the past since uh, since uh, I left Institut Pasteur, which was in 2011, my line of work is to support small and medium-sized innovating enterprises, innovating companies from Europe mostly to enter the Chinese market in the healthcare sector, medical sector, medtech, biotech, etc. So uh, to do achieve uh, such a such uh, such projects, I need to have multiple connections at multiple levels of the society here in China, uh, which I can maintain. Uh, and so far, so good. Let's say uh, I'm happen to be able to read, write, and speak the language, which helps a lot, of course. Uh, and I've been following up very, very closely uh, the uh, outbreak of SARS-CoV-2 and uh, its subsequent epidemic. Uh, I've been in Shanghai or in China continuously since last January without leaving the country at all. So I was as close as it gets to um, uh, the action here uh, and went through all the phases. So we're going to go through that certainly later on. But uh, in a nutshell, that's one of the reasons. Those are the reasons why I believe um, I am knowledgeable about the topic. <laughs> I know that you're knowledgeable about the topic. Uh, good to see that you and your family are well and uh, that you are all happy. Uh, I think when it comes to such uh, changes in the world, um, of course, people show emotion. And um, with these emotions come sometimes a little bit of, uh, let's say, uh, thinking in, in, in interesting ways. And there are a lot of theories on the market about SARS-CoV-2. So let's start with one theory that I read recently. Uh, the virus is fake. It doesn't exist. Uh, what's your opinion on that? <laughs> is SARS-CoV-2 really in the world? And is it alive? Oh, I think we've seen enough uh, peer-reviewed articles mm. from many sources uh, that show the virus itself via microscope and we've seen obviously consequences on uh, in in uh, hospital settings throughout the world of this new pathogen uh, mm -hmm. and the pause uh, consequence chain between the pathogen and what happened throughout the world has been clearly established uh, so the virus exists definitely uh, however as uh, many viruses do it mutates so we could probably say the viruses right now because i'm pretty certain that there are many strains coexisting at the moment um it's strictly speaking it's not alive strictly speaking it's stable <laughs> the virus a virus is not a living mm. organism uh, it uh, it is stable. The colder, the stabler. The hotter, the less stable. And essentially, uh, you've read what, whatever you've read saying that uh, over a certain amount of minutes, uh, three to five minutes uh, above 70, 71 degrees Celsius, uh, the virus degrades and is no longer uh, a threat. Uh, and if you drop the temperature, the time lengthens and if you go below zero Celsius now you can have a virus stability for months uh, and maybe years as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll come back to that because uh, there are some interesting aspects in this in how China uh, dealt with, uh, with the epidemic. But yes, it exists and it circulates. I think for, to those who are not scientists, I think the best picture uh, I saw in a movie, it was in uh, 86 or 85, it was Tron. Uh, there was this movie from, from Hollywood. Uh, it was this time when computers became popular. And uh, the 
story is about uh, how a person is sucked into a computer and uh, he, this person starts living with programs and there was this bit. So this was the, the smallest uh, possible information and it had either, uh, either it was on or it was off. So it was binary. And I think what you describe is basically what the virus is. Either it's on or it's off. It's doing something or it's doing nothing. Uh, to try, trying to put it simple, which is very difficult with science. Uh, let's speak a little bit about the origin of the virus. Um, when I think back to January, February, it looked like the virus originated in China, in the Wuhan province. Um, and then from February onwards, it spread the world. Um, this is the picture I get in the newspapers in Europe. Uh, what's the picture in China about the origin of the virus? Um, it's a very good, very good question. Obviously, uh, there are some aspects to answering this question that may delve into the way the country is managed on a, in China on a political level. Uh, I personally do not want to go too deep into politics because there, are, mm -hmm. there is a lot of unknown into this and a lot of speculation that can happen. But what we can be fairly certain about is that uh, the initial circulations can date back to 2019 and more specifically to October. Uh, so the Wuhan market patient zero is probably not strictly, strictly speaking, the patient zero. It's probably it's it's uh, patient above zero. There were probably people before that. Um, when it comes to the uh, transmission from bats to humans, uh, highly probable. So far, uh, there have been, I have seen nothing absolutely compelling that uh, would uh, make me believe that this virus was engineered, although it is true, again, facts only today, it is true that researchers in China and elsewhere in the world work on coronaviruses, work on bad viruses and manipulate them genetically. And they do this in various settings. Uh, we've heard things about P4 laboratories. Uh, quick word on this. Uh, coronaviruses, I, I work on P3, not on P4. Mm -hmm. So anything you read on P4 is probably uh, baseless. Uh, but uh, P3 laboratories are numerous throughout the world, numerous in China, Wuhan, elsewhere. Uh, they are managed according to a set of stringent rules. Uh, now, you know, they are managed by human. There is human error. Uh, has it escaped? Was it, was, it, was it the result of a, let's say, a work of scientists and has it escaped? Well, nothing proves it, but nothing disproves it either. Uh, so let's stick to the fact. And actually, I believe personally that this part of the uh, discussion is, uh, is not relevant to what's happening now. I mean, where it comes from, okay. Uh, is it relevant now? Is it what matters? I mean, it's out. <laughs> and it's been seriously out. It's disrupted yeah. the world in, in a way that, um, personally, in my own lifetime, I haven't seen this before. And I was born in the early, early 70s. Um, so uh, what we can say now, uh, also something that puzzles me more, uh, actually, is not the fact that it has come, because uh, we were probably expecting that uh, coronavirus uh, viruses appear 
uh, once in a while. We remember SARS-CoV-1, obviously, in 2003. Uh, something that still puzzles a lot of people, even researchers on, in the field, is that when we go back to SARS-CoV-1, for instance, is that SARS-CoV-1 was deadly. I mean, 10%, 10%. And it went away. And so far, Entirely. it's not fully really understood why. It's not yeah. fully understood why. And right now, we are seeing uh, trends in Europe that show uh, a very strong surge in positive PCR cases, PCR tests. But we don't see that much virulence right now. Uh, we don't really know why either. Uh, there might be a, an array of, of explanations. I will go into this. But the fact that some people, even in the scientific community, start saying, you know, it's going to be the same as SARS-CoV-1. It's going to disappear. Mm. But it might. It might. You can't say it will not. There's nothing absolutely certain here. Uh, what we know for certain, though, in terms of differences between those two viruses, those two viruses are very closely related DNA-wise. Uh, when we say uh, 80, 79% proximity between those two viruses, DNA-wise, mm -hmm. it's actually very close in the world of virus. I mean, I know that we humans are 98% uh, similar, similar to chimpanzees, <laughs> but actually the distance, the, those two percent is a much bigger distance mm -hmm. than the 20 points, percentage points difference between those two viruses. So uh, what we know for certain is that uh, the onset of symptoms with SARS-CoV-1 was much faster after contamination, which means that uh, you could, if you were in contact with SARS-CoV-1, so the 2003 SARS, um, you couldn't spend much more than 48 to 72 hours before massive symptoms would come to you and then you need to go to the hospital so then you get isolated mm -hmm. so you, the chance for you to transmit the virus uh, is limited to the time you had uh, while being uh, subclinical or asymptomatic which is as i said two to three days uh, here we we know for a fact again that uh, you can carry the virus for a much longer time and that translates into a certain level of contagiousness, even if you're asymptomatic or subclinical. And that's probably uh, the reason why the uh, number of infected people per patient uh, in SARS-CoV-2 is higher than the one in SARS-CoV-1. That's, uh, that's a very interesting point that you make, um, that the time to the onset of symptoms in SARS-CoV-2 is a little bit longer, or it, a little bit, it's, it's really longer than SARS-CoV-1, which brings me back to the question of the origin of, of the virus. I mean, as you say, uh, the picture that sometimes is painted in Western newspapers, that there was this patient zero, on the Wuhan, on the Wuhan uh, food market, uh, sounds to me like that the virus jumped on the patient zero, released immediately a press release, uh, invited 100 Chinese uh, scientists to the event. It was a big party and they all celebrated patient zero. I mean, it's a little bit sarcastic to say that, but uh, I think the patient zero probably in the Wuhan province was the first patient that doctors could diagnose with COVID-19 and could trace back to a novel virus. 
virus. But when I think about it, um, it would mean if this patient zero was not a real patient zero, then maybe this virus is longer in the world uh, that we currently assume. And uh, going through the newspapers in Austria, there was one article that I read about uh, France in Paris, I think, and I think another one in Spain, that they could trace particles of the virus uh, in sewers uh, dating back to March last year. And there was another study um, that I read recently that said that in blood sample from blood donations uh, back to 2015, scientists found a bit of antibodies that might be effective against SARS-CoV-2. So in my mind, it comes together like saying, hmm, do we have this virus maybe in our society since uh, 2015 already? What's what's your opinion on that theory? Well, it, 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 all this is absolutely possible. All this is not outlandish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that what, what is very important when we've said that is that, well, then, if it was there since 2015, why did it break out in 2020, early 2020? Yeah. Why did Wuhan suddenly become the burning fire that it was? And why from Wuhan then it spread out to different regions of China and then to the world? Well, uh, for the um, emergency in Wuhan, uh, one has to dive a little bit into the way uh, the Chinese society works in December and January. i.e. during the weeks before Chinese New Year. During the weeks before Chinese New Year, the um, in, inland, or let's say, uh, migrations of Chinese people within the country uh, is extremely important, extremely important. Uh, the um, half of the, more than half of the Chinese population uh, which translates into 15% of the world's population, actually changes location uh, during that period. Uh, And they carry with them uh, food and gifts and presents for their relatives, but they also carry with them uh, a vast number of pathogens. And this is culturally, I mean, one still has to remember that we're talking about Asia. Uh, I mean, if you take Hong Kong and you draw a circle of five hours, five hours plane flight uh, centered on Hong Kong, uh, you're, you can reach out to between 40 and 45% of the world's population. I mean, this is a fact. Again, this is some really high density regions uh, with uh, cultural specificities, one being Chinese New Year. So uh, in our case, uh, Wuhan, uh, the emergency in Wuhan was uh, unlucky because Wuhan, uh, which is a city in the central China, as you probably have seen on maps, uh, is quite uh, it's quite interesting uh, sociologically. It's a it is a place uh, the Hubei province and Wuhan. Uh, first, it is the biggest city in the province. Uh, the province is the size of uh, France in terms of population, uh, 70 million, a little bit under 70 million. 70? Wow. Yes, yeah, 70, right. 
so it's a sizable province, fine. Yeah. Uh, the city itself is big and it, there is no, you know, there, there are not many second tier cities in this province. If you go to other Chinese provinces, you will see the provincial capital and you will see other cities that are, you know, sizable and all this interacts nicely. A little bit like when you look at the German map, you've got Frankfurt, you've got Munich, you've got Bremen, you've got Hanover, you've got uh, cities like this, which um, so from time to time can be seen as almost of equal importance. Here we're talking, you know, Paris in France. I mean, London in the UK, the, those big centers. Yeah. Uh, those, and Wuhan is this in its province. So it's an attractor. First, it's an attractor from everybody from the countryside. Usually it attracts everybody from the countryside. There is a lot of rural exodus from the, 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 within the province, the Hubei province, into Wuhan. Mm. And then those Wuhan people, again, it is a province which is very young. Uh, there are excellent universities, so people are well-trained. And those guys, those young uh, people, young guys, young ladies, they, look, they, they, they seek their chance outside the province. So not only they come in, but also then they spread out. And they spread out uh, to... Shanghai, Beijing, Tianjin, Shenzhen, those big, let's say, first-tier cities that mm. uh, Guangzhou, you know, Canton, and that concentrate uh, international uh, business, a lot of employment opportunities, uh, chances for personal development, you name them. Um, and uh, all this coupled with Chinese New Year uh, made up for the perfect storm, the perfect storm. Uh, and the... Um, the fact that Wuhan went into lockdown uh, just before Chinese New Year on the 21st of January uh, had one consequence. It prevented the uh, replication of this perfect storm in Wuhan in other big cities. Because mm -hmm. something that one has to uh, remember when we come back to the origin of the outbreak during uh, the China phase, let's say, and the China phase is January, February, early March, let's mm -hmm. put it that way. Uh, during the China phase, I was living in Shanghai, nothing happened. I mean, in Shanghai, we had 270 patients. I mean, Shanghai, 20, Chinese municipality, 24 million people, 24 million people, mm -hmm. 270 patients. And believe me when I say this, I've not, I've known enough infectious diseases doctors in Shanghai to know that those figures are true. Yeah. <laughs> they were not, they were not swamped by so sick people in Shanghai. They were not, but but Wuhan was. So there was, you know, in concentration, and then the people was asked were asked to stay there just to protect the other cities. And that was the decision. It was a harsh decision because mm -hmm. disrupting Chinese New Year is it's it's difficult for well, the Chinese government to do this. But, but that, uh, that but, was a harsh decision, but it's probably saved a lot of other lives. When I, when I listen to you, it sounds like to me that the Wuhan province is in the center of uh, China. And Central China, that's yeah. correct. And it seems to be like, like a hub, so people are going to the Wuhan province and uh, venturing out of the Wuhan province. Yes. Then you said, did they say, say seven zero inhabitants in this area? 70 million, seven zero, 70, 70 million yeah. in, in the Hubei province and Wuhan per se is 12 million. Yeah, so 12 minutes, uh, 1.5 times Austria. 
And then you have the Chinese New Year upcoming. Uh, where you say most the majority of the Chinese people travel somewhere in the world, visiting their relatives, parents, go home. Um, and then you have this unknown virus where you can't say, is it, is it SARS-CoV-1? Is it as deadly? I mean, the, the first assumptions I heard is it, uh, should have a fatality rate of more than 10%. So it's understandable in that picture that the Chinese government says, Please stay home. Uh, let's find out first what's going on in the world. So, and I think um, this uh, the risk profile of the virus um, since January, February. Um, how is the risk assessment now in uh, September, October 2020 in in China? What what does what has the Chinese uh, scientists or scientific community found out? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Um, there's been a lot of research made at then. Uh, in February, March, uh, doctors did what they needed to do in terms of emergency response. They looked for uh, tools in their existing toolbox. So they looked for drugs. Okay, what does work? What does not work? We'll come back to drugs later on, but the first mm. thing was to, to try and cure people, you know. And then progressively, uh, implementing very uh, strong measures uh, country countrywide uh, and being able to test very quickly. Uh, mm. One has to admit they were very fast at, at uh, deploying uh, PCR testing. Um, they... Um, There was a, a rather quick control of the number of cases. But then after that, especially after China saw that the virus had spread out to uh, Europe and the US, and uh, I would say much to their surprise, uh, I think, and I've discussed this with a couple of doctors here, they said, we were surprised to, to see that uh, Europe, for instance, and the US as well, took it so hard. Uh, we thought that our public health system was still much weaker than theirs. We thought that uh, the Wuhan, what happened in Wuhan was the result of our unpreparedness. And we never thought that the West was seemingly, at least in places, mm -hmm. as unprepared as we were. Uh, well, Uh, on that basis, they, they, they made then uh, a decision. They made a decision uh, which goes back deep into how the country is managed. So again, I will probably let everyone uh, reflect about it. But the decision that was made was to get to zero domestic cases. We want to go. We are the biggest country in the world and we want to go to zero, not to one. We don't want to learn to live with the virus. I mean, this sentence, which I hear quite a lot 
in Europe, in mm. the US right now. We need to learn to live with the virus. Well, everybody needs to understand China rejects that. Mm -hmm. We want to live without the virus. In China, we want to live without the virus. So we, the country sets its mind in a zero case policy. And that is why on 38th, uh, 28th of March, they close their borders. Mm -hmm. Nobody comes in. Nobody comes in. Uh, when we say nobody comes in, the only people who were able to come in were Chinese citizens, but in chartered planes with very specific testing procedures, with quarantines, and we'll get into that the way current quarantines are handled, all the different measures. But the objective was zero case policy. And by now, 25th of September, it has succeeded. Mm -hmm. There are no cases. And the very few cases that we can see and record right now, once in a while, and which are transparently reported by the media, by the way, are cases um, due, uh, that are due to uh, visitors or to people coming from other countries. But within the country, there are no cases. Mm -hmm. Shanghai has not had a, had a single case since since when we when the quarantine was released we had five weeks we had five weeks lockdown in China, in shanghai five weeks 17th of february to 23rd of march 23rd of march uh, it, the lockdown was uh, released uh, because there hadn't been any case for two weeks so uh, seven six six uh, eighth sorry eighth of march eighth of march was the last shanghai case no case after that fact that's a fact. If there had been a case, there would have been a lockdown. And there was no lockdown. So there was no case. Uh, so it has succeeded. The, the huge consequences on, uh, on the way the virus is seen and on the economy. I mean, why did China do this? Well, uh, probably to... I mean, it has to do with the fact that uh, they were feeling very bad about what had happened in Wuhan and, and uh, you know that everybody knows that uh, China in terms of uh, political ruling they want to appear very much in control and they felt they had lost control and they wanted to regain control and they set their mind to a seemingly unattainable objective but they attained it anyway uh, with uh, a bunch of measures but the biggest one was closing the borders I mean a country that represents 20, more than 20% of the global population and which is so important to our supply chain, to our overall economy and so on, and they decide to close the borders. And to the point that people like me who are duly living here with valid residence permits, we couldn't, I mean, people with the same resident permit as I am, as I have, couldn't, couldn't come in. And they, are, they will be able to come in now, again, uh, six months later, in three days, the, the borders reopened for people like me. But before that, they did not. Uh, so that was the strongest, let's say. Um, and, but, but as a consequence, uh, the number of cases dropped, which means that you can resume at least uh, domestic travel. And uh, China, in terms of economy, let's say, they trusted their own people in their ability to switch to let's say, 
successfully addressing the domestic markets. Uh, and I'll, right now, I can give you a, a, a figure that uh, shows the risk assessment right now, uh, which is 93%. I mean, the um, domestic travel within China is back to 93% of the level pre-epidemic, which means planes are full. Domestically, planes are full. It helps airlines because airlines can charge. Uh, it, uh, it helps the people because the, the people can fly in and out and actually at least do business. Uh, and, 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 and although they can't do the international business the way they used to do before, when it comes to domestic business, they can do it as well. So it has been also a very strong factor of stability. Uh, but this couldn't have been done with open borders. This couldn't have mm -hmm. been done with open borders. And, and I really want to insist on that because uh, when you ask New Zealand or Japan or Australia, which are essentially islands, to close their borders, it seems a feasible feat. But when you ask uh, a semi-continent like China to do that, it takes it takes more than a smile to close the borders, you know. And well, decided to do so. I'm I'm, I'm not going to discuss the um, whether it's what European countries or Europe as an ensemble should or should not do. That's not for me to I mean, say. Let's, 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 let's stay, let's stay with the Chinese society and uh, with China. Yeah. I think uh, the Europeans who are listening and the Americans are well aware of the situation in their countries. Um, so China closed the borders. But what yeah. else did the Chinese government do? To, I mean, this, this zero cases politics is very interesting, but I think closing borders is not enough. So what measures on top of that uh, happened in, in China to Absolutely. quickly come back to zero? Okay. Uh, closing the borders was something. Uh, Wuhan and the Hubei province had full lockdown for 11 or more than that, uh, 14 weeks. Uh, full lockdown uh, means that you have to stay home and if you need to buy stuff, uh, only one person uh, of the household can go. Uh, temperature checks, which are still done, by the way. Uh, temperature checks, that's, the, that's usually the first, that's the first um, measure that's been done. Temperature checks. Um, it makes sense. To assert, even scientifically, I know that asymptomatic people do not develop fever immediately, but at least uh, it's a pretty good indicator. And if you if you have uh, at least at some point at that point, if you had fever, if your temperature check was positive, I mean you have to imagine an everyday life where there's a guard at the door before you enter, for instance, a pharmacy or any uh, or any commercial center, any office building or anything. And the guard takes your temperature, and if your temperature is not is above 37.5, the guy wouldn't let, won't let you go. The person won't let you go. He will refer you to the proper authorities or the proper. I mean, there is an organization in place. There are enough people in this organization to make sure that you get escorted to a place where somebody will find out why you have a fever. And this was this was. Namely, namely, is this COVID or not? So they don't, they don't, they don't simply tell you, you have a fever, you can't get in. They tell you, you have a fever, and I have a societal responsibility to find out 
why you have a fever. Yeah, this is this is something I uh, realized when oh, my first trip to Japan. It was I think also 20 years ago. Uh, I saw the people, I saw people in, on the streets with face masks. So yeah. it, for me as a European, I mean, there was Michael Jackson in the 80s back then. This was the only person that I saw with a face mask. And before I traveled to Japan, I had no experience with that. So I asked my friends um, when uh, I saw that the first time, and I have some friends who happen to live in uh, Japan, like you do in Shanghai, and I asked them, why are they people doing that? Are they scared of getting sick? And they laughed and they said, no, it's, it, it's the other way around. So these are people who most likely have a flu or are not sure if they have any contagious virus. And uh, usually they stay home when they are sick, so they don't go out and uh, they do their best to not spread the viruses. But uh, just imagine single so elderly people, I mean, when they need to go grocery shopping, um, they need to go out basically. And this is the time when they wear face masks. And I, I heard this. Yes. Yeah. And is it the same in China from the attitude of the people that it, they see it as their responsibility? It is exactly the same. It, and it was the same uh, at the moment of SARS and it was the same. It's an everyday life. I was very surprised of something. I've worked in, in China for 20 years and I've worked in various types of organizations, including Chinese, uh, let's say, a small and medium-sized private companies. So mm -hmm. with a Chinese boss. And you better believe that Chinese buses are not as cool as European buses. But as a European, you know, I remember my, from my work in Paris or in London, if you have, you feel a little sick, you have a bit of a, you, you have a little bit of a fever, well, take an aspirin or take a paracetamol or take a Nurofen and mm. you go to work, you go to do your job. And, you know, yes, you're going to be, crying a little bit because your nose will be running or this, this and that, but you go to, you go to the office and then, and then fine. And uh, that was the logic I was in because uh, as a European, that's why, that's what I experienced when I was in Europe. And uh, I'm working with this small and medium sized companies, a company in, in China, and I've got a lot of work pressure with uh, long hours and limited mm -hmm. holidays. And um, I uh, show up at work Uh, exactly in that uh, in that in that status, and I said, "No, it's all right." I said to my boss, "It's all right. Don't worry. I feel a little sick, but I took a Nurofen, and um, then I'm going to be just fine." And then, very sternly, he says to me, "Go home." Go home, yeah. <laughs> I, can, the, I can. There's nothing. There's nothing in this world, uh, in the world we live in here in Shanghai, and I know that we're here to make money, but there's nothing in this world that Uh, justifies the fact that you come to the company when you have a little bit of a common, it was probably a common cold, it was nothing yeah. more than that. That's funny how they're very tolerant on the fact that I was staying home during a minor, when, what from the European, uh, the, from the European uh, point of view, was a minor health disturbance, very minor. And then you go home and when you feel better, you come back because I don't want you to contaminate the other guys. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? 
Join us on the Make More podcast as our host Matt Heslin brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. This is something uh, I completely agree to. I mean, I live in Europe for, for my whole life. And uh, when I was working for bigger corporations and uh, in the morning, or also in school back in the 80s, 90s in the morning when I felt sick. So you have this scratch in the, in the throat. Yes. And uh, then I take the temperature and I see 37.5 degrees Celsius. So my response with 17, 18, 19, 20 years was, ah, cool, I have to stay home, I'm sick. So um, when I started working, I told... Uh, the story to some people I worked with and the response was you're weak. Yes. You can't, you can't stay home yes. with the cold. You can't stay yes. home with the cold. That's the, that's the European mindset. I remember a lot of people, even especially above the, above the age of 50, mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, executives at a certain age, they start to be afraid for their own position in the company and in the society because maybe the company is struggling a little bit and might fire those expensive uh, older executives to replace them or not by younger people. And mm -hmm. I remember some 53, 55 year old executives would tell me, we'll go to the office. We'll go to the office because if you, you don't like a common cold in front of the work because, you know, and then they were feeling the pressure. Well, mm -hmm. it doesn't happen here. Yes, we work hard. But we work hard only when we're when we're healthy. If we're not healthy, we stay home. I mean, they, it's 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 a societal matter. Um, uh, I've visited Korea, Japan less, but Korea. Uh, I visited. I, I spent a bit of time in Taiwan. Uh, it's very widespread. It's a very widespread practice. If you feel mm. well, you're gonna really work long hours. And you know, Japan. Maybe you can tell Christian, and it's probably the same. But if you don't feel well. Nobody, nobody yeah. will ever believe that you are weak. They will, they will think that, okay, he doesn't feel well. Um, beside his or her own state, what's important is that the organization keeps running. So we don't want the virus coming through, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and, um, uh, and a common cold uh, or a flu being I think transmitted I would, to somebody. I would far, far, far. So that's what happened. For Japan, I would put it, uh, it is seen as social responsibility. So yes. it's not it's it's more a strength. So here, when you here are, as well, here when, as well, when people here. are not sure if they are if they have a virus and they stay home, it's more seen as uh, they are thoughtful adults uh, and they take responsibility not to infect other people. And maybe this was the reason why the Asian countries were more successful in containing the virus than the European countries. One well, of the reasons. There were there were many many multiple factors to that. Um, the, the one one very important thing is that they set very clear objectives, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, those objectives, uh, if they go against individual freedom, well, the objectives go against individual freedom, and that's how it goes, you know. We'll talk about the, let's continue about the yeah, measures yeah. because mm -hmm. it's very interesting to see what measures were taken in China because I hear a lot of things that 
essentially say that we were in prison or, you know, and, and the measures that were taken were a mix of very harsh measures, very, you know, liberty killing and very liberal measures. Uh, I'll take one example. Uh, I exercise outdoors. I always exercise outdoors. I know that, uh, Christian, you and I have this in common. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I true. exercise outdoors. And even during Shanghai lockdown, the five weeks of Shanghai lockdown, nobody would prevent me from exercising outdoors. The only limitation I had was that I could not exercise together with another person. I needed to exercise alone. But I could cycle because I'm a cyclist. Uh, I could cycle throughout Shanghai with no mask, no mask on, and no, there were cops all over the place, and nobody would stop me. I had a mask in my pocket just in case, but nobody would stop me. And the regulation was lockdown prevents any group training, but individual training is okay. And when France implemented its lockdown, you could not go beyond one, one kilometer uh, away from your home. We were less, that was less stringent, you know. Here, that was less stringent than that. Um, the, uh, something that was much more stringent and fully apply, uh, applied was uh, the, there was a very immediate recognition that transmission of the virus was very fast and facilitated in public transport. So even now, even now, you don't wear a mask, uh, be it the metro, be it the buses, be it uh, airports or train stations, you don't get in, you just don't get in. And in the metro, at some point, it's less the case now, but at some point, when depending on the level of say, safety required by the local government, if you were seen in the metro with your mask slightly down, for instance, below the nose, guard, guard comes to you and makes you readjust your mask. And you'd better do it because those guards are armed, you know. So, <laughs> uh, again, targeted measures, targeted measures, very strongly enforced. Uh, obviously, uh, so we talked about masks, we talked about um, temperature checks, we talked about uh, transport, control, the control during transportation, very, very strong, because yes, metros, I mean, confined spaces, closed and closed spaces. Uh, uh, we talked about, obviously, um, gatherings. There were a lot of uh, gathering cancellations. Even now, we are not back to normal. Um, stadiums, there is a gauge. It's the same as Europe. There is a gauge in stadiums, you know. Uh, it's 3,000, 5,000 people to go to soccer, football matches, the, that type of thing, you know. Uh, in my line of exercising, which is cycling, uh, those big group cyclings of several hundred people, they are now back on track since the first one that was uh, organized after the outbreak was the 25th of June uh, in Eastern China. 25th of June, we could come back to a 
to several hundred people together biking without masks and so on. But before that, that was not the, was not the case. Uh, so a lot of um, still a lot of control on this, but absolutely zero control. For instance, uh, restaurants, bars, nightlife, nothing, and no masks and no masks and people don't wear masks. We don't need we don't need masks. We don't. Nowhere in the country is now the mask is now required to wear a mask for in those in those settings. And restaurants operate at full capacity, full capacity. Except public transport, I think. Or public transport. But public is transport. It? Public transport is still very stringent, and mm. and you don't get in. I mean, they, they don't let you in, and yeah. uh, obviously they keep checking your temperature all the time, um, and um, and and this is this is very much uh, kept. I mean, and of I've, course, what, what we yes. When I, when, uh, when I look at the at newspapers, there was one article describing the situation in China and it sounded, I mean, there was a, a music festival with 1.2 million uh, visitors uh, and it looked to me, there are no measures anymore. But what you tell me right now is uh, that it's not the case. So China has still closed the borders. It's hidden, hidden, hidden measures. They had closed the borders and when yeah. nobody gets in, then the sick people inside Either they die or they get better, yeah. but then the virus is gone. Okay. <laughs> you see what I mean? I mean, there was no contamination. There was no, they, they, they stopped the contamination chain within after having closed the border. And, and this is this is this is this is a measure that is still ongoing. So when I want, when I would yes. like to travel to China, I would no. uh, be quarantined uh, for two weeks. The, the, this is how it goes right now. For anybody who wants to come to China, including Chinese passport holders, huh? including citizens, you know, who have constitu constitutionally the right to come back to their country, you know, sit Chinese citizens, you need a PCR test from uh, overseas uh, within uh, the negative result within 72 hours of your departure. Uh, China puts the burden on checking this to the airlines. It's a very funny measure. Mm. It's, it's the responsibility of the airline to guarantee that everybody is negative on their plane. Which okay. means that airlines, when they sell their tickets right now, they need to check manually the PCR test of each and every of their passengers. It's not a government requirement. It's a government requirement to airlines which means that flights are expensive because there's a lot of manual treatment before they can sell a, a flight. If you, if you look up flights, obviously flights are scarce, but if you look up flights anyway, you're going to see that prices are very high. Prices mm -hmm. are very high, not, due, not only due to supply and demand, but also due to the manual processing that has been put, the, the burden of which has been put on uh, airlines themselves. If they if they get positive cases on their planes, they get their their, their next rotation gets cancelled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean that, that that's what China does. Uh, they they so, some some things they take care of themselves. Some things they delegate to. And uh, when you arrive, when you arrive from wherever in the world except Macau, only Macau people, only people from Macau now can go mm -hmm. into China without quarantine. Macau is a very small territory <laughs> that counts as China anyway. Uh, yeah. And um, the, when, the, when you get in, you, 
how does it go? Yes, you have to undergo quarantine, but you, you need to understand that the circulation from the moment you leave the plane to the moment you are allowed to go back to your home two weeks oh. after that, all those circulations, they are completely airtight. They are completely tight. You, you don't meet the outside world. You do not meet the outside world. Mm -hmm. Dedicated aisles, dedicated vehicles, dedicated personnel in full suits, dedicated quarantine facilities. You don't get, you don't get to choose. Uh, dedicated personnel who give you your uh, meals and etc. 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 Quarantines. I've not, I've, uh, several friends have uh, undergone quarantines. Um, it's as close as it gets to being in jail, um, minus the uh, environment, and you know, obviously, but you're still in a you're, you're in a you're in a mid-range hotel room, but you can't get out of it. You can't yeah. you can't breathe outside the outside air. You you you're in. You can't go out of your room. You can't get out of your room. There are, if you quarantine at home, they will install at your door a device that will record if you open your door. And if you open your door, there's somebody who's going to come in and try and see, okay, who opened the door and where did you go? If you can, so, because so, in some cases you can quarantine at home, but usually it's very, very much airtight and uh, everything is provided for, uh, except that now you have to pay for it. Uh, it's it's charged to 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 you as a citizen. Uh, it's uh, it's not that expensive. I mean, it's what forty euros a night plus mm. plus plus board. You know that that's room and plus board. Like yeah, fifty fifty euros a day. Uh, well, you still have to put together seven hundred euros. Yeah, ish. Uh, you know, you still have to put seven hundred euro, euros down on top of your plane ticket, of course. So you need really need a good reason to come back. So but, so, so basically, when when I understand you right, it means. When I want to travel to China, I need a negative PCR test uh, yes. to board the plane. Then, yes. uh, when I land in China, I'm quarantined. So it's basically you are quarantined, and you get tested at least one, at least three times. I mean, one of the questions that we want to address is obviously the testing and the fact that testing uh, comes back with a lot of false negatives. Yeah. How do they sort that out in China? The simplest possible way. Uh, if the risk of false negative is, let's say, 20%, if you do the test four times, this risk drops significantly. Mm -hmm. Significantly, you're pretty much certain. So you get tested before you board, you get tested immediately upon arrival, then at J plus three and then at, and at, uh, gen at, no, uh, no, at day plus seven and day plus 14. So the three times. But the full PCR. But the full PCR experience with a sample. Taken from absolutely, the north. absolutely. That's so the, the that's back. another yeah. that's another painful matter, uh, and uh, that that's how they do it. That's how yeah. they do it. They, so they, it's, no it's half measures. No, yeah. no half measures on that aspect. So because on that basis, us people inside within the country get now the free life. What I call the free mm -hmm. life biking as groups, not wearing masks on the streets. Um, the, the border control and quarantine measures are, were the most, the tightest I've ever seen. The tightest mm -hmm. I've ever seen. 
So basically, it means for me as a as a, as a traveler for business, uh, going to China for a weekend is not possible. So it doesn't make no. any sense. So it no. must be two months or three months that it's really uh, does it make some sense? So it's more or like relocating or living for a certain time period, which would not be impossible. Right, right now it's it is a problem, and it mm -hmm. has a, it has consequences on the economy. Uh, but uh, those consequences have been mitigated by the fact that the Chinese people, the companies and businessmen have a lot to work on in better serving the domestic market. Mm -hmm. So, yes, yeah, they do too. less international, but well, I think I've, more I've, I cannot compare the domestic market in China with the domestic market in Austria. I mean, it's 1.4 billion. One has to do. One yeah. has to do with their advantages, and I'm fully yeah. with you on that point. I mean, we cannot compare. And uh, a, a full lockdown of the European borders theoretically could have been could have produced similar results, but the level of European control and integration. Uh, plus the philosophy of Europe uh, when it But comes to a free market economy, yeah. it goes against goes so much against that. You know, it's, yeah, it's, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm not so sure. Um, just let's let's stay with China a little bit. I think the Chinese government is doing the same to their own citizens. So when somebody is diagnosed with SARS-CoV-2, I think it's also quarantine, testing, 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 and uh, separating absolutely. the person from the society. Yes. Completely, yeah. completely separating the person from the society and separating their family. I mean, for instance, the if he if this person is the only one positive, maybe wife or spouse or children are negative, they still will be quarantined at home just in mm -hmm. case. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The coaching conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. But with strong measurements, if the people really stay at home. So you said that the government and is installing temperature temperature reports via via mobile phone, temp yeah. self self temperature reports twice a day, etc. Uh, etc. Et yeah, all that all those aspects absolutely. What what data is the government collecting with the cell phone? Oh yes, a very good question. We have. Um, Uh, we have QR codes. Uh, it's a QR code uh, which tracks your, uh, I mean, primarily, uh, one has to understand this. Uh, in China, uh, since, when was that? Probably five years ago, there is no burner cell phones. You can't have a burner phone in China. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. you, all, any SIM card, any SIM card has to be connected to an ID number be it a passport or a national identity number. That's first. Second, remember that the three uh, mobile phone operators are all state-owned. It's like, you know, Apple being 
owned by the U.S. government or something. They're all state-owned. Yeah. Separate so, discussion. <laughs> so uh, access, 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 access to data is not an issue. Uh, let's yeah. put it that way. Uh, and uh, on that basis, if you don't have a burner phones, right now, every single SIM card in circulation in the country is connected to an, an ID number or, let's say, a person with a valid ID. Every single SIM card. There's no burner phone, uh, except maybe foreign numbers. But foreign numbers, you can't get the, um, you can't get the application that, uh, that, that tracks you, so you can't travel. Because you need to show you need to show the code if you need to if you want to travel. Anyway, uh, and um, they collect mostly uh, roaming, pinging, roaming data. Where have you been? It's based on the array of antennas. Where have you been? Um, that's why they map. Uh, because, it, for instance, it happened. It happened uh, near the Myanmar border uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, suddenly, two cases. Uh, in a rather small city, 140,000 people, which is at the border with Myanmar. So uh, I'm talking about border control, but the border with Myanmar, uh, there probably is a way to get through, you know. Uh, yeah. and, um, and, they, and they found out two cases, two positive cases, based on temp temperature measurements and routine mm -hmm. everyday life implementing, two positive people in this city. Well, first decision is city lockdown. Nobody leaves. Instant, immediately, city lockdown. That's so right. you have so you have regional lockdowns in China. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have regional lockdowns, but that's the only one we had. We had one here. We had one in Dalian, and we had one back in July in Beijing because mm -hmm. uh, they found out uh, contamination in food samples. But mm -hmm. this is what I wanted to also why I wanted to mention this. I saw the news. Uh, what was that? Uh, I mean, one week ago or something. Uh, China imports a lot of food because China is not self-sufficient food-wise. Uh, it's 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 funny when you when you think about such a big country, but it's far from being self-sufficient mm -hmm. food-wise. So they import a lot of food, and they import in particular seafood. And in in one case, they found out that an Indonesian supplier of seafood had contaminated. Uh, was there clams or lobsters or fish? I can't, I can't remember, but they, um, they found, I mean, they routinely test and they found out there was, there, there was contamination. Well, they, they, again, they don't think twice. They seize the inventory and they stop the channel. They ban, they ban instantly the supplier. They don't think, they don't, they don't mm -hmm. think twice. They say, let's cut as fast so as it's, possible it's, it's really any possible chain of transmission. It's no half measure, so it's basically they no, do what they need to no do. No half measure, no half measure, uh, which are targeted just to make sure that everyday life, as quickly yeah. as possible for us, let's say normal people or middle class people, can go back to normal as fast as possible. It yeah. it has to do with you know so, trying to but, give the maximum number of people the minimal disruption. So it's basically the Chinese government doesn't question the severity of the virus anymore. They have made made up their mind. It's better to live without the virus than with the virus and they do what's it. necessary. I mean, when you said border control, I think the biggest mistake people make in the world, uh, probably 
I'm also doing that is comparing China as a country with countries like Austria, Switzerland, Hungary. Uh, that, that's not that, that's not the right level to compare China. It's more like a continent by itself. So it's like uh, whole Europe three times. Um, and when I think at when I think not only the population but uh, border control, I think it's very easy. For inbound flights, you can do PCR tests. You mostly, yes. when people can afford the ticket to China these days, yes. you mostly have educated people who are compliant, who follow the rules. But when yes. I think more in the rural rural areas in China, so to the Himalayan, probably the level of um, education is not that high and maybe That's people correct. are not really aware. So it must be really a tough effort for the Chinese government to really keep the borders shut. Well, uh, I, I happen to be, uh, I happen to love uh, borders. Uh, mm -hmm. I love borders because I, wa I, I was born near borders in France, near the, I was born near the, the Dreilander Ecke. Ah, maybe you yeah. don't know that. I was yeah, born yeah. near the Dreilander Ecke between France, Germany and Switzerland. Uh, which means I love borders. Uh, those border areas, it's always fascinating to me. When I go to San Diego, I always go to the Mexican border just to try, just to, just to have a look, you know, for instance. And um, in China, even, even land borders with Russia, with Vietnam, with even Hong Kong itself, oh boy, the walls, serious walls, uh, Nets, you know, grid, grid locks, cameras, barbed wires, uh, armed guards. Oh, the, even in the middle of the desert, in the frontier, the frontier with uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and all those. Those borders are clearly marked, mm. guarded, monitored, and you don't get in easily. You really don't get in easily. So maybe, you know, this case, for instance, Myanmar, you know, Myanmar was interesting because Myanmar, yes, as you say, it's hilly, it's mountainous. Uh, there's there's a certain permeability. Um, it's a poor area. Uh, they, for instance, in the north as well, uh, the, the Siberian, the the, um, the, 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 the the easternmost Siberian border, uh, going towards Vladivostok and that area. Uh, a lot of Chinese people go there to farm, you know, and they farm in Russia uh, for the Russians. Uh, those borders are may, maybe a little more permeable, but on, a, on the spot, they can send people, be it the army, be it uh, the police, and, and, and make sure that those areas get seriously guarded. And crossing an inland border in, in, uh, in China is not is not easy it's really not easy it's really not easy and um and then they have they have the structure in place you know i mean uh, when you when you think about the franco-italian the, the the border between france and italy well there are the alps and everybody believes the alps make a perfect natural border well it does not we know now <laughs> i grew up in the alps so it's <laughs> Uh, let's let's stay a little bit with the with the Asian society. I think a huge difference yes. to other societies is that uh, when it comes to public health, the yes. entire society. I mean, I also see it in Japan. I see it in Taiwan. I see it in South Korea. Um, also, you mentioned it for China. They are compliant. They do what's yes. necessary to support the government without questioning it. And 
I think this, this is probably a little bit of a difference in Europe, but because when I think back uh, to March, I was really surprised that the lockdown measures in Europe worked very well. So the, also the European population was very compliant, did follow it, and it looked like uh, we also were successful in containing the virus. Um, yeah. I agree with except, all that. Except, except Sweden. Sweden went their own way. So it was also very interesting to see, but currently it looks like we have in Europe a second wave coming. Um, PCR tests in Austria, we had 1.4 million tests uh, since March and with 40,000 people diagnosed as uh, infected. Uh, so it seems like the, the last weeks that the numbers are going up. Um, The question is, uh, when, I, when, I, when, when I think to China, it's clear they've closed the borders, but I think it's not possible in Europe. And they also see a little bit of difficulty uh, with the market uh, closing the borders for Austria. I mean, Austria has 9 million inhabitants. Meanwhile, uh, it's a small market. So we are highly dependent to work together with, with other countries. Um, so containing the virus with closed borders seems nearly impossible in Europe. The interesting thing is, I mean, with, with growing numbers of cases, we also see what effect the virus has on the population. And uh, when we go back to the discussion to the severity of the virus, I think it's quite yeah. interesting because uh, the, you, you mentioned that uh, Europeans say that they need to, that we need to live with the virus, and maybe this is the only way for the European society and culture as it is right now. Uh, but what really was astonishing to me is um, the first time when I heard from the virus in March, uh, February, January this year, Q1, uh, I thought, my God, I mean, hopefully it's not like the Spanish flu uh, from the severity of cases. And when I heard the uh, numbers that probably 10 to 20 percent of people who catch the virus die, I thought, oh God, this is, uh, this is not going well. Uh, when I look now at the, at the, the reported cases and when I look at, the, at the, the figures, it looks like the virus doesn't do any harm to people below 65 years old. So the fatality rate or the infection fatality rate is really close to zero. Uh, how is the Chinese society, as uh, a scientific society, seeing this, this figure? that we observe here in Europe. Absolutely. Yes, this is a very important uh, aspect because uh, as you, the, the, um, China has long had very strong uh, virologists, very, uh -huh. uh, very good scientists within the Academy of Sciences, within international organizations, uh, performing high-level research on viruses. I mean, we've seen this with all the information that have come out about how in Wuhan, virologists work on bats. Uh, and uh, the, on that basis, what is now known, and again, uh, there are references that show it, uh, what is now known for certain is that this virus, uh, based on its structure, it actually interacts in your body with much more than only your lungs or your nose or your throat. It, uh, it attacks and it, um, let's say, it influences, it has an impact on other cells in your body, and that can be the heart, that can be uh, yes. the neurons, that can be also the vascular walls, that can be the gastrointestinal tract. Uh, for scientific reasons that are now a little bit better understood, we have a virus that can find its way into your body in various places 
And my personal, my, my understanding and my conclusion on that is that, uh, isolately speaking, uh, the impact on your body is not fully, is not as severe, or let's say it doesn't, it doesn't put you down as severely as the flu does, for instance. I mean, if you, you, you and I had flus, I mean, I had, I had flus and the, with, with, without taking any medicine and, and you're just, down, you know, you're yeah. just, you can't move your, your, seriously. And then, but it's, it's, an, it's, in, it's in one single place. The, the, the flu virus kind of goes to one single place. Uh, here, uh, we have a virus that is probably less lethal per se, but that impacts uh, your uh, immune system in many different places. Uh, put it that way, it's the difference between uh, uh, one uh, Napoleon column going to Moscow versus uh, Islamic terrorists uh, attacking at the same time yeah. uh, 20 different Russian uh, cities. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's make it that difference, you know. Uh, yeah. And um, it, which means that the outcome of the disease, to me and and and, and to the scientific uh, community I've been discussing with, is directly connected to the uh, status of your immune system. The better mm -hmm. your immunity, the better off you are. And we know, we've known this for years, and it's being studied right now as a, as a key um, diagnosis, treatment modality, but the, the immune system takes uh, a very important drop around the age of 65. It's uh, there, there is, you know, there is, a, it goes down, 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 and then there is, you know, a stair, a stair step after it, it gets steeper after 65. So I'm not surprised on that basis that people who suffer more, most from COVID-19 are people above the age of 65, because then any multifactorial or multi-organ attack will take quite the toll on the, on, the, um, on, the, uh, on the immune system of the person. And then comes the question of co-infection. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think what, what, what we are lucky, what we're really lucky is that we don't see uh, these high fatality rates across the entire population. Uh, what's very interesting to me is, I mean, when I compare it to the flu virus, uh, when I look at influenza, severe influenza outbreaks, uh, the most harmed population are the kids. So it seems yes. like coronavirus is not doing very much to the kids, luckily, lucky for us. But it has a severe impact on elderly people. And I think this is scientifically proven. And also on yeah. people who are already sick. And I don't only talk about diabetes, obesity, cancer, and stuff like that, which is quite clear. I also talk about secondary infections, like uh, catching the flu at the same time with the coronavirus. So this can really make the flu weakens the immune system already, and then comes the coronavirus. So it really can cause uh, severe problems, uh, health problems. That, that, is exact, that is exactly right. And that is one of the reasons why, for instance, back in March and up till now, uh, if you have a COVID and if you're diagnosed in China uh, with a COVID that requires you to be hospitalized, they will give you antibiotics, hmm. not to kill the virus because antibiotics <laughs> don't kill the virus. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, they, they they don't give you antibiotics to kill the virus. The, 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 the obviously, but they give you antibiotics just in case a co-infection comes in, 
and that could be, in, especially in the case of China, a community-acquired pneumonia, I mean, mycoplasma pneumonia, or that type of thing. And so they give you azithromycin. And with, uh, when you take azithromycin or any other well-established antibiotic, just to make sure that nothing else comes on top, you know. And then when it comes to managing the COVID, when there are other management possibilities, uh, there is in China a funny drug, which is a broad spectrum antiviral that exists only in China and Russia uh, that has been used, has been put to test, uh, nothing conclusive on the benefits of this drug. Uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, it's, it's not the miracle cure. There is no miracle cure at all. Obviously. But uh, the... Um, there, there, there is um, the uh, right, right now they they they, they stick to um, for instance the very controversial uh, hydroxychloroquine treatment. Uh, it was uh, topping the list of recommendations of the Chinese government back in the days of February, March, and April, and. You know, uh, right now they don't have cases, so I don't know what they give. But uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they don't have cases. But I would believe they would give exactly the same modalities. I've That's checked a little bit for a chat, and they would mm. believe they give the same. I mean, you're lucky with the measures that you don't have any cases. Um, but I think uh, it's quite clear that the, the Chinese government really considers this virus as a severe threat still. Uh, so this is why they close the borders. This is why uh, yes. they quarantine people. This is why they make regional lockdowns when they detect cases. Yes. And I think this is also probably the advice from China to the European population to take the governmental advices seriously um, well, and yep. to be a little bit more compliant. Yep. Uh, because the virus is a threat. Uh, that I think the thing is that when I look at the figures, it really doesn't look like that. It's more this 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 this, uh, this sneaky little little guy who's coming in. Uh, I'm not really dangerous to the healthy population. No, there, there's but... one aspect that we forgot to mention. Yeah. Uh, a very important aspect. Uh, I mean, it's a, China is a big country with with a huge number of children as well. And a very, very, very strong accent is put on children's education. And at all costs, China doesn't want to disrupt that because this is the continuation of the generation. It has to do yeah. with the Asian mentality, you know, that and so on and so forth. And, you know, China is a country that produces between seven and eight million uh, bachelor degree graduates every year. I mean, this is a serious amount of people, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and, and obviously it goes down to, uh, from kindergarten uh, upwards, you know. And the decision was made in March and April to do this, to, 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 to get to zero cases, also with, uh, with what in mind, with the, 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 the objective of being able to have a non-disrupted, absolutely normal, uh, start of classes uh, this uh, this September, and in classes, children don't need to wear masks. Uh, teachers do not wear masks. Uh, there are tests, obviously. I mean, checks temperature controls for every kid every single morning. Obviously, uh, teachers as well. Uh, the 
no, we don't want to disrupt children's education. And when, when once you have said this, you 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 need to set your your goal as zero 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 disease. You can't live with the mm -hmm. disease and expect no disruption at school. You can't. I completely. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work. Those two. Those two statements are conflictual. It just doesn't work. So they made this decision and they enforced it. I, co I completely agree that uh, the children's education must be protected in any case. But when I look at the numbers in Europe, I, I think um, the virus is here. So um, there are infected people, there are hospitalized people. Um, I don't know if if we are beyond the point of no return, that lockdowns uh, are shutting the borders now to really help, uh, in, except closing whole Europe for two months, uh, which would economically be, I don't know if it works, uh, also to the education of the children. So what we need, I think that we can, I also don't believe that we can go back to the situation that China keeps uh, the borders closed forever and Asia shuts off from the rest of the world. Um, so we need our scientists to find solutions on the drug side and vaccine side. We need our scientists to find solutions. We need, we need, uh, we need, before vaccines, I personally believe that we need drugs, we need therapeutics. Mm. I mean, antivirals have been around. Uh, against the flu, there were good, average and bad antivirals that were produced and developed, but uh, a lot of them saved lives. I mean, uh, we remember all the, all those from the uh, uh, from the flu outbreaks. We need antivirals. Uh, now that we understand better the virus uh, structure and the way that we could, you know, attack uh, the virus or modify the cell environment mm -hmm. just to avoid, you know, I mean, the objective of a drug would not be to uh, cure everybody within two days. The objective is to make sure that there is no severe case anymore. If you turn the COVID into a flu, you're fine. Yeah. If, you, if you avoid uh, emergency response, if you avoid ventilation, if you avoid those, you're fine. And now uh, the efforts in China are below what's being done in the West. They, they are below. And they are below because intrinsically, new drug development in China has not quite caught up yet to mm -hmm. the level of the West. And this, I can I see it for a fact. Even biotechs founded by uh, very high-level returnees who, uh, who studied in the best American or European universities and came back to China to launch their drug development companies. What are they going to do against COVID now here in China? They are going to do, you know, screening efforts. They are going to screen compounds. They are going to try and put together cocktails of existing compounds. But the novo compound development is something uh, the West is still better at. Mm -hmm. It takes time. Uh, from what I can see all here, it seems to be... Um, uh, there, there might be uh, good drugs, I mean, acceptable drugs. I mean, I don't consider them. This is an acceptable drug. I mean, this is, don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, a, it's approved in Europe, so <laughs> it must be good. A, a, lot, a lot to say about it. Yeah. Anyway, um, the, uh, the, 
find getting a new drug there might be good options uh, i mean will we have enough patients i mean the problem with the drug right now is will we have enough patients in uh, in europe to test the drug you know and, and then our, our initiatives our, our biotech or pharma ready to test new compounds right now i know pfizer is working for again uh, in, the, in that field have they come up with a candidate i don't know i'm not sure i haven't checked recently and then they might not but what i can tell you is that in china nobody really works hard on a drug for a very simple reason also which is yeah, well, if, even if they had a compound they can't test it in china we have no patients yeah i mean so now, was... now the question comes obviously is how the hell did they do to produce to make vaccines well they tested they they, they their vaccine clinical trials were conducted out of china and mm. we've seen that right that i mean brazil and so on and so forth Yeah. And uh, we'll come back to the vaccines later. Probably, yeah, yeah. No, you can. Based on what you want to do, is is it's probably the end of our talk. But um, vaccines is a, is a, is an important aspect. I mean, uh, it's a little bit a question of values that we tap into a little bit. Uh, and what I like to see, and what I think is uh, is important to the human race, is that uh, the whole world works together. So it's basically Asia, China together with Europe, with the United States, America, and Africa. Um, so to put it all, we need to unite. And from what I understand from the talk that we have right now is that China will keep its borders closed uh, and will stick to the zero cases policy. So uh, a drug... So far, that is true. Yeah. So far, so, that is true. So, at, at, I mean, they made up their mind, so I don't assume that they will go back and forth that they will say, ah, we open a little bit and then, so they need a clear, clear, clear change in the world because the virus is out in the rest of the world. Um, I think a drug to the, uh, can a drug really be a solution? I mean, zero cases, it just treats the severe cases, the moderate, mild cases, but it's, uh, it would not support the zero, zero patient policy. So I think, You mentioned already the vaccine vaccine space. So I think the only thing that can guarantee zero cases is a vaccine that works. Would it be a, a right interpretation that this might be an event that the Chinese government changes its mind and say, okay, let's open the borders like we are used to? It's, it's speculation. So it, Right now it is speculation, but that is the consensus. The consensus mm -hmm. is that, I mean, what, I, I, what I don't want to do is to minimize the impact, the economic impact of shutting down the borders on the Chinese economy. I mean, mm -hmm. I, it, it, I, I might have, you know, led everybody to think that it was easy for China to do this because anyway, they had got such a big internal market and that's fine. No, that is not fine. There are a lot of businesses and projects and companies that who employ that employ a lot of people that are severely impacted no, by I, so, sorry the, to the border closure. sorry to interrupt you so, but I, i would like to add something to that i don't i also don't believe it was easy i mean i think that chinese economy is probably the only one who can be self-sufficient for a longer period of time or almost self-sufficient uh compared to europe uh, i mean we were working hard since the end of the 80s 
to unite the world and uh, to integrate the economy worldwide, to integrate China, to integrate Russia, African countries, to work closer together between Europe and the United States, which was very unique in the world because we have to think back a few years ago, all these countries made constantly war against each other. So it was a great development to see in the 90s uh, and uh, the new millennium that the world is coming to a peaceful state, more or less. So now we have the virus. And uh, I think the only economy that is really has the potential to be a little bit of self-sustaining is, is China with 1.4 billion inhabitants. I don't see it for Europe and I don't see it for the States. There is a certain degree of self-sufficiency uh when it comes to manufactured goods, I mean, being the, the, be, being the factory of the world, or let's say the production line of the world as it is, anything you can think of that, that, that you might need uh, in your everyday life is made in China. Now, obviously, energy, construction, um, and uh, food are still, uh, items uh, whereby China highly relies on imports. Mm -hmm. But energy, construction materials and, and food, all this can be put on cargoes or onto planes. And those disruptions are, it's still doable, you know. So I, that's, I agree with this self-sufficient statement on that basis, because they, the, the industrial power of the country is still very, is very high. They, they produce anything you would think about needing, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, the, um, so on that, on, that, on that basis, that's right. However, there is still a lot of entanglement with the uh, international economy and there is also a lot of uh, very important ongoing projects that would require the presence of foreign specialists in China and the presence of Chinese people in foreign yeah. countries for further development. So let's not minimize this. I mean, uh, foreign companies are huge employers in China, and if they feel the heat because uh, of the uh, of the current uh, border control. They will lay down lay off people, and China doesn't want people to be laid off. So, uh, it is. It was not an easy measure. It self sufficiency exists. One point we can add on self sufficient is that China also has a huge level of personal savings. The the the, the, the households uh, are sitting on a lot of money. So even if they have uh, economic hardship for a while, they have money stashed. You know, the, the savings, personal savings, individual savings are high. Mm -hmm. uh, than a feature of the population as well. But the, border need, the borders need to be reopened at some point. Uh, one of the things as well, I mean, for instance, there are economy, sectors of the economy in China which are suffering like crazy. Airlines. Airlines are really suffering. Because yes, a lot of them are doing, still doing mm -hmm. domestic travel, but domestic travel is cheap. And it doesn't make money. I mean, they, 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 you don't make money. And you can fly only your small airlines. I mean, Hainan Airlines, which is one of the, the, the largest private airline in China, all their big Boeings are grounded because they can't fly overseas. They are losing as much as they can. And China Eastern and all the same and so on. And hospitality, I mean, big hotels, hotel chains, not only, not only international chains, but local chains, 
huge employers, those companies employ a lot of people and they suffer a lot and you can't keep everything shut. I mean, uh, China also welcomes the world in massive exhibition. You've seen those exhibition centers that can host 250,000 people together in the same place. I mean, no, everything here is at a standstill now due to border control. And I mean, let's not say that border control is the solution for everything. This is not true. It is, it is, it is an evil as well. I mean, it's, for China, it has brought down this certain hardship. How can this be solved? It can be solved either if we find the treatment that the world gets consensus about, and then okay, there is a drug, everybody has it. As long as you have the drug with you, you're fine. And if you don't have the drug with you, we don't care because in in, in, in China hospitals, we're going to give you that drug and you're going to be fine and you're going to avoid being in emergency response in China and you're going to be just okay. But, but do you see the change? I mean, currently, the, you said the government says uh, zero cases. Um, so uh, it, The it, government it says zero cases because they know their vaccines are coming up. Uh, I've read the papers about those vaccines. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, those vaccines are uh, made by mostly by companies that have a government uh, company background. I mean, uh, the government background, uh, the public uh, pub, public uh, public sector. I mean, state owned, state owned uh, background. And uh, I think they are fairly. Uh, let's say, confident about their vaccine because uh, they gave the the current version that are about to come out, they're going to come out in December. They're about to come out uh, and they're going to give, they already gave the vaccine to the army and the Chinese government doesn't want to create problems with their army because uh, it's it's when the army disconnects from disconnects from the government that big problems happen. You know, I mean, this is geopolitics. And the Chinese, uh, the Chinese so, army is a very strong one. So. The Chinese, Chinese army, you know, a lot of people. So, so those guys, those people get vaccinated. Um, what uh, the consensus is that when. Chinese people have access to a vaccine. They are going to go and to to be incentivized against for vaccination, mm-hmm. and it will become almost mandatory, not necessarily for going out, but for coming back into the country. But this should not be surprising. I mean, there are a lot of areas in the world whereby you need to have a vaccination before you go there. I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yellow fever, uh, dengue. Uh, I mean, we we we've heard of many diseases. I mean, if you want to travel in certain places in Africa, you need to vaccinate against this. Well, maybe China will say, okay, you can't come in in if you're not vaccinated. And on the contrary, if you are vaccinated and But, your vaccine is a Chinese vaccine administered administered in a Chinese hospital. You you probably will be able to skip quarantine and life of people like me, for example, will go back to normal. Maybe 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 that uh, is a new business model then for Chinese airports to have the hospital for the vaccination next to the airports. Uh, when I look at, I mean, I think we need this unity in the world again. My fear is that the world starts falling apart, and uh, I don't think it's it's a good scenario. So we need some solution to that. When I look at Europe a little bit. 
Um, you said that the Chinese population, uh, they have usually high savings. Uh, when I look at Europe, um, I have more the feeling, I mean, I read studies and they say 99.5% of the world's population focusing on United States and Europe are not millionaires, which means they live from paycheck to paycheck. So cutting them off from employment and from paychecks means that they quickly start coming to a point in their life where they can't pay their bills anymore, they can't purchase food, uh, they risk losing their houses, and this would not be a good development. So to come back to normal, it's, there could be two cases. And one is that we find out the virus is not as it's like a common cold virus, which I don't see really coming because if, when I show it, when I look at the numbers, it's not dangerous for healthy population, but the minute uh, a healthy person catches a flu, the picture changes. It's the same for elderly people. It's the same for cancer patients, diabetes patients, and all other patients that have some disease that weakens the immune system. So the only solution then, if we can, let's just put the hypothesis on the table and say the virus is severe and it will stay that way, then we need a vaccine. And vaccine development takes time and needs time. So before our call, I was reading a Forbes article, which was very critical to the vaccine development. And from a time when I was working for an Austrian uh, vaccine development company, I remember that the phase three trials need to prove efficacy in the field in a large population. So what I right. expected when I thought about a vaccine against SARS-CoV-2, uh, that the vaccine must prove that it prevents people from dying. Uh, looking at the endpoint of the Western uh, pipeline, I'm, I'm not so sure if there is really this endpoint mm -hmm. in the studies. Well, how do you see it? Uh, I've read the same articles and I am extremely surprised and uh, unhappily surprised by uh, those uh, studies and that by the fact that uh, on the uh, assumption that governments are so desperate that they will take any vaccine, no matter what, uh, are applying for early approval based on testing on, what was that? Several hundred people only? Yeah, 150 several or something. Several hundred people only? I mean, several hundred people in the vaccine world, we understand that this is a joke. I mean, you need at least, at the very, very least, a, a five-digit number and more likely a six or seven-digit number of people to display, uh, as you said, efficacy and protection. Uh, in China, the vaccine, the, the first case, the, 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 the phase one and two were conducted in China mostly, but now the phase three, they could not because they needed large scale uh, and uh, the zero case policy has killed <laughs> the, the, the number of patients. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so they went to Brazil and, 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 and for instance, uh, among others, but they went to Brazil. I mean, Sino Sinovac has, uh, has um, on Sinopharm, sorry, has um, been doing their phase three in Brazil. According to international standards, by the way, I mean, this is an area where, as you know, uh, harmonization works mm -hmm. uh, throughout the world, but better than it used to. And uh, it seems to, we, 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 need, we need the final readout, but right now we have no red lights uh, showing us that, for instance, I have a lot of internal contacts in those vaccine companies and 
none of them is telling me like, okay, we need to stop because this doesn't work or we need to stop because we have a case of unknown death due to the vaccination or et cetera, et cetera. So um, what is certain is that what I've seen again for a fact is that on small scale trials uh, of the, the most advanced three Chinese vaccines, uh, the the, uh, the dosage has uh, triggered uh, antibody uh, production whereby the subject of the study in 100% of cases. So that we were talking about small small scale. So I mean, again, several hundred of people, and that would, those were only phase two. Those were not pivotal trials. You know, phase two trials say, okay, a, it's safe at that level, and B, it triggers immune, an immune response. Now, does this immune response last two months, six months, two years? We don't know. And we can't know because we need a longitudinal follow-up of these cohorts and the time has been too short so far. Mm. Uh, but uh, what, what is important to know is that the, uh, this is not enough to authorize a vaccine, at least in my mind. And in, in China's mind is the same because China has had those results since June or July or something, like, like Russia has, for instance. And on that basis, they gave the vaccine to the army. Uh, and, and nobody died in the army to the extent that, okay. Mm -hmm. So safety, at least safety, we're talking, I mean, it's, it's fine. One has to remember something about vaccines, something that is lesser known in Europe. When SARS came out in 2003, a lot of people worked on a vaccine. The only reason why a SARS vaccine didn't come out on the market is not because it was not technically done. It was it, it, it because it was rendered useless because the, the virus was gone. But coronavirus vaccination based on the SARS experience, Asia had an edge. Hong Kong, Hong Kong labs cooperating with Chinese labs. Asia had an edge. Scientists, vaccine scientists in the West do not have the same experience as vaccine developers mm -hmm. in the East when it comes to coronavirus vaccination because there, were, there was a lot of work made on SARS. So let's not think, you know, when we say, you know, a vaccine takes two years uh, to develop, two, three years, or else it's baseless or useless. Uh, yeah, well, it's not that simple. I mean, uh, we started out working on COVID-19 vaccine based on the work that had been done on SARS. A lot of things were done already. We knew in what direction to go, you know. And, uh, so um, on that basis, um, personally, I'm quite confident that a vaccine is going to come out in China quickly. Uh, Sinopharm has announced pricing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be a two shot, 150 euros max for the two shots. Uh, it's, a, it's a two shot, one week interval. Uh, even if it gives protection only for the season, well, it's better than nothing. And, uh, you know, if it translates into freedom of travel, it gives back the opportunity to Chinese airlines to uh, put their big uh, jumbo jets uh, to use and fly people around again and make sure that the facilities and the infrastructure that China has built as the 
industrial and commercial hub of the mm. world mm. is still being put to use. I mean, let's not, again, let's not think that China can live without the West. They can't live without the West. They can, they can, there is a certain level of self-sufficiency, but you can't cut off this international cooperation I, and this international travel. You just I completely agree to that. I mean, we are not in 1700 something. Uh, exactly. We are in 2020, and I think no country can afford can afford trying to live without the rest of the world. All problems that we face right now are interconnected problems. So no country can separate from that. And I mean, when vaccine is uh, when a vaccine is mandatory to have to to come back to this old normal that we are used to which means we can work together we can collaborate uh, it would it would be a good thing to have that but from just from my gut feeling that do you see it really coming i mean when we don't see mortality endpoints uh and the governments all over the world really say uh we have to get rid of this virus i mean i think the only way to get rid of this virus is a is a vaccine then that uh works in 100 of the cases Well, uh, the flu vaccine doesn't work in 100% of the, ca of the cases, but at least we, we need, we need in the vaccine world, you know, Christian, as well as I do, that we need 90 plus or 92 plus, yeah. 94 yeah. plus. That is, uh, so um, now, now the question is, is, is dual. First of all, uh, if there are no mortality endpoints in trials, it's baseless and it's, uh, and it's un unacceptable and I'm entirely with you on that. My understanding is that the trials that were made Uh, by uh, and conducted by the Chinese vaccine makers in Brazil and other areas had those endpoints because uh, I, have, uh, I have not seen anything in the uh, Chinese FDA, which is an NMPA, uh, uh, outlining the possibility of a green channel and quick approval uh, of uh, vaccines without a proper uh, regulatory uh, work. Uh, that could be uh, that, that would be interesting to follow because obviously um, uh, we, we want to see the conditions under which those vaccines uh, have been developed. But what, what I'm more, more concerned about is the impact of geopolitics on mm. this international cooperation that you are calling uh, for. Uh, I see China being very happy with people having uh, been injected with the Chinese vaccine, but refusing people who will have been vaccinated by the Moderna or, the, uh, or, the, or, the, or any of the uh, Western vaccines. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily on scientific grounds, you hear what I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. imagine, imagine you, Austrian citizen, you have a visa to come to China, you can show that you have been properly vaccinated in such a way that China cannot challenge the authenticity of your vaccination document. But even though, will they say, okay, uh, on that basis, the, Mr. Zoshna, you can come into China with no quarantine? That is a question mark. That is a question mark. Yeah. Maybe they will only accept because they will, they will first consider the welfare of their population and they will first let their own population go to Europe for tourism, for instance, and then come back with no quarantine. And then at least the Chinese can go out and come back. Now, for the foreigners to come in, uh, I will have the chance to undergo local vaccination, but not many people will. Mm. 
not many people will. And uh, the question about the business travelers is bound to remain open for uh, for a while. For a while, mm -hmm. um, I think uh, I think uh, by uh, Chinese New Year, February. I think by February, if the vaccines come out in December and are sufficiently available, uh, I think by Chinese New Year, uh, there is a chance that the Chinese population and people like me who live in China, mm -hmm. although not being Chinese nationals, but who live uh, in China under the, the uh, you know, a residence permit uh, system, can uh, resume almost, almost full normal life. Now, business traveling from the outside, this is going to depend, this is going to be a, not only a scientific discussion. And that's something that frightens me because, uh, except, if, except if, but they won't do it, except if, due, maybe some countries would do it, you know. I mean, I would see, for instance, there are some European countries which are very much entangled with China. Uh, I'll, take, I'll take Greece as an example. There is, there is the, the relationship between Greece and China is very strong uh, on various aspects. And maybe Greece, I don't know if Europe allows for that, but maybe Greece will say, okay, I'll take, I'll take the Chinese vaccine. And if they take the Chinese vaccine, maybe the Greek can fly to China. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and I don't know if within Europe or outside of Europe, there will be cases like this, but I know that I've been contacted by a central European country, which is not part of the European Union. <laughs> I can't tell the name, but when I've said this, <laughs> I'm not many candidates, but central European country, not part of the European Union, looking to buy Chinese vaccine. I think that there were very interesting points in what you said right now. I mean, I'm a Democrat and I love personal freedom, but I think the the coronavirus is a real threat. So it's luckily not as severe as we thought it to be. So touch wood. Uh, yes. But it has a severity that we really have to be cautious. Uh, you mentioned before the QR codes in China. I mean, there is a lot of uh, advantages in the Chinese systems. Um, we tried similar thing in Europe, but the, the, the funny thing was that every incubation program that I was working with and was aware of in the last three months, no, six months meanwhile, uh, started to develop some corona app. And I said, this just doesn't make sense. I mean, uh, when you have thousands of corona apps in the world, uh, it, it doesn't measure anything. So Apple and Google, I think, united to put one system on the market. And I think this is also something that we should use in Europe so that we uh, use one system that we can really trace back the, the people. And this is uh, the learning for me for the European Union that we need a little bit of centralization like China has to be successful in containing viruses. Well, What's your opinion? The, the app is actually the lesser of Europe's problems. I mean, the bigger of Europe's problem is that you can have SIM cards without an ID. Mm. How do you track people if you don't have an ID? I mean, in, I mean that's that's an objection. You know, that's a, that's mm. a. I, I mean, when I first came to China and until. When was the last time I bought a SIM card which was not, uh, which was a burner card uh, that could mm -hmm. be used uh, without ID? 
It was probably 2012 or something. Uh, that was still existing in 2012. But now China doesn't allow burner phones. I mean, this is this is something, you know. And if you're you you can't be taken. I mean, you you, you and. And if you want to track people with their phones, well, you need to be able to connect phones with people. <laughs> and this is this is not easy, you know, and yeah. be, be via an app or via QR code or something. So, and, you know, now that you mentioned it, you know, another reason why China went back, uh, insisted on the zero case policy. I mean, I mentioned children education, all this and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. But something to think about. If... If you back to zero cases, people take their mask off. If you take your mask off, the surveillance cameras look at you and they recognize you. But if you keep your mask, they might not. So there are so many surveillance cameras, you want them to work. If you're the Chinese government, you want them to work. Mm. You want them to provide you with useful information. Mm. (laughs) And if everybody wears a mask, you get no information. So it's it's you know it's very complicated very complicated there mm. there was there were very interesting comics cartoons in some of the very humorous in some of the european um, journals or papers newspapers back in back in back in the day in uh, in june or something like this and 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 they actually nailed it they understood that oh Everybody wears a mask in China, but how about the cameras, you know? And yeah, they nailed it. That was a question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you, you put a, a mass surveillance system together based on facial recognition, and here comes the virus that gets everybody a mask on. <laughs> what do you do? You know, how do you, yeah. how, how do you cope with that? I mean, the, uh, the, 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 that, that's the irony, you know. But I'm with you on centralization. Uh, I mean, calling for people to be reasonable, we know that a lot of people won't be reasonable because the um, European society is made of different groups uh, of people and, you know, and freedom of opinion has been long advocated, uh, obviously, and it's one of the positive aspects of the uh, of the positive aspect of the um, of the continent, of course, but you know today it has consequences, and it's also you know <clears throat> uh, what wh- what do you want what do you want to do with your uh, what do you want to do with your population and uh, and then how do you want to um, achieve you know the best uh, the best results and uh, I'm I'm going to be interested in uh, looking a little bit better at how Sweden fares later on, especially during mm-hmm. the winter. Yeah. To see whether, uh, because this is this was an interesting move. This was a bold move on their end, and I remember their figures at first were bad, and then their figures were better, and now their figures are good. Um, and um, when it comes when it comes to when it comes to uh, China, uh, well, uh, right now our life is close to normal, except the big exception, which is we can't fly transcontinental, or we, we can mm-hmm. fly transcontinental, but if we come back, we come back with a very serious guarantee. And, uh, and well, so, so it doesn't make sense because it, it, it costs a lot and everything. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, um, I, hope that, <clears throat> I hope that governments at some point will be able to sit down and discuss those vaccine matters 
uh, nicely, especially if we find out in the coming months that at least one of the vaccines being developed works. Because then we could, we could you know, set up a standard there would be a global standard that say, okay, that's the kind of I vaccine. think that's necessary. Yeah. Then, then, then maybe through country to country cooperation or region to region cooperation, there would be licensing of the vaccine to players uh, regionally, so that we are sure that it's the same vaccine produced everywhere, and that those vaccine makers will maybe not be as greedy as you know they thought they could be because uh, you know it will have to remain affordable just to make sure that the world goes back to normal quicker than expected because if countries fight against each other about vaccines it's not good we have a serious problem we have a serious problem. yeah yeah then let's try to to maybe can speak endlessly let's try to sum it, yeah, sum it up in, a, in four in wrap up in four or five minutes uh, i completely agree to what you say i mean governments have to sit down and find a common solution so that we can unite again as a human race um there are a lot of good things in that i think we have uh, seen the chinese situation uh zero cases which is good but uh with all the travel bans it's quite challenging to maintain that i think in europe we have another experiment to see how a society can live with the virus and maybe they're happening two things so maybe we find out that the virus is going away like SARS-CoV-1 which would be very lucky for everybody it is not impossible it is yeah. not impossible or we can agree on a vaccine standard which would, a good, would be a good thing vaccine standard uh, if, the, if a vaccine works or maybe but uh, I believe the vaccine might come from China earlier than the other so. one <laughs> yeah But I believe if we find the drug, the drug will come from the West. Yeah, I think we will get that's both. My, that's my that's my my wrap up will be here. So, yeah. so it and vaccines and drugs, as you know and as everybody knows, are not competitive competitors. Yeah, you they have both. different uses and they can be used in parallel together. You know, I mean, plus. Even if they're the vaccine that works, it might not work for such a long time. And maybe and not everybody is eligible to vaccines. So we also mm -hmm. need drugs for the kids, for the elderly, for a lot of people. So if at the end of the day, China comes with a vaccine that works and the West comes with a drug that works, maybe there's a way to make everybody work together again. Yeah. Because, and... because China will need the drug and the West will need the vaccine. It would be a great That's solution. The best possible outcome, hopefully. It would be a great solution and at an affordable price so that everybody can get the vaccine and everybody can get the drug, the therapeutics. You know, given how much it costs to government right now just to make sure that people, their people don't die from unemployment, starvation, or not being able to pay their bills, as you say, everything would be more affordable than that. Anything yeah. would be more affordable than that. <laughs> yeah. It costs so much. It costs so much, you know, right now, printing printing this money because that's what we're doing. Printing this money just to, you know. I mean, to put, me. Put the, people afloat, maintain people afloat. As you say, I mean, I, I like this picture of having a vaccine from China, which is not entirely developed in China anyways, because what's going on in the background is that on a scientific level, the whole world is working together to solve yes. the problem. Yes. Yes, and 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 and... And I, and I strongly believe that in drug development, the West still has the edge. And in the vaccine development right now, it seems that 
China is a little bit ahead. Mm. Uh, plus, you know, I know that the Russians have the vaccine out already, but uh, you know, we uh, there might be there might be a the, 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 the global trust issue here. But we, you know, <laughs> the, the um, ho- hopefully those people can sit down. And but but this is going to take a lot of leadership. Yeah, uh, and uh, and and it's really going to depend on when it is time to sit down and talk about this. Who is going to be around the table? Yeah, and I hope. Everybody... But this is beyond us. This is beyond us and beyond me. But yeah, yeah hope hope uh, this session was informative to everyone. Yeah, Rene, thank you very much for your time and for Most giving welcome. so much valuable information. Uh, stay safe and I wish all the best to you and your family. Thank you very much, Christian, and thank you everybody who uh, came uh, online to listen. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.